And we're back. Now, if you've been watching the show for a while, that's normally the thing I say when we come back from a commercial break. But this time, I mean it in a much larger sense. We are back with all new episodes and season three of Studio Wesley Annex, the audiovisual podcast where we talk about the lectionary texts of the week. I'm here with my good friend Derek Scott III. You may know him from season one, season two. You've been kind of all throughout this, haven't you, Derek? I have. I've hung out for many of these Studio Wesley Annex episodes, but it has been a joy to watch a new generation of lectionary conversators take on Annex. It's just been great. I like I like that we are the lectionary conversators. Um, That's a good term. I feel I feel good about that. Yeah, good about yeah. that term. Um, so season three, we have Derek here because there's a couple exciting new updates. I, I don't know things that are really taking us to a new level. I think, um, and one of those is the addition of a pilot program that I want Derek to tell you a little bit about. Yeah, so fall 2023 for Studio Wesley, we are piloting an intern program as a part of our overall work and ministry here at Studio Wesley. Really excited. We have five incredible college-age young adults from all over the place, and you'll get to hear about them on our social media spaces and stuff like that. Great, great folks. But they'll be participating in season three of Annex, along with members of our Studio Wesley team. Probably not me, though. I, I think my time in Studio Wesley Annex might be, I might be uh, no longer in the Annex. I might be at another part of the building now. But Aww. You never know. I might always step in and, you know, have something to say about a psalm text. You never know. So, yeah, I'm excited about our interns. They're going to, they're just, I think they're going to be great. They're great additions, great contributors, great, great lectionary conversators. Um, lectionary conversators. I love it. Yeah. And we are so, so freaking excited to have more, just more input from various age groups and yeah. I mean we can go as far as saying various college uh, degree paths and all sorts of walks of life which is so yeah. exciting yeah. Um, and then also um, we're talking about the lectionary so we always talk about the relevant periods on the Methodist calendar that we're kind of living in and we are starting right up in the middle of one of those, uh, Ordinary Time, which Derek, I would love to hear your insight on that. So, Yeah, so um, as you may or may not know, um, because we use the lectionary, we, we also follow the Christian calendar, the Christian year. And so these, these holidays, uh, the prominent ones, it starts with Advent, um, which, you know, it comes at kind of the end of the calendar year, but that's the beginning of the liturgical year. So you have Advent that takes us into Christmas, into Epiphany. There's a little bitty season um, in the days after Epiphany, which is also called Ordinary Time. Um, and then we go, you know, Ash Wednesday then takes us into Lent, Holy Week. We then celebrate Easter for 50 days. You know that song on the third day of Easter, my true love gave to me. That, mm -hmm. that, that song. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 50 days. Can Favorite. you imagine 50 days a week? Can you imagine that, that what that would be? That would be awesome. The amount of, like, there's not enough birds. There's not enough birds, but that is, there are, there are. There are more there than are 50 species of birds. Uh, for the bird watchers out there, I, I apologize. That was very. We're going to get emails because of you. <laughs> <laughs> we never get emails. We're going to get emails. Yeah. All right, so Easter and then Ascension Day that takes into Pentecost and then Trinity Sunday for many of us. And then 
there's this long season that is often called ordinary time. Um, and it's not ordinary because it's ordinary. It's actually ordinary because it comes from a specific word, ordinal. Um, and that, that would take us all through the words and stuff like that. Um, but here's what I want to say. There's a lot out there. So Google ordinary time, liturgical liturgical season, ordinary time. You're going to get a whole bunch of stuff if you do that. Um, in fact, in the show notes, I'm going to post an article by um, a colleague of mine named Alistair Stern, um, who wrote a really beautiful piece about ordinary time. But essentially, ordinary time, you know, if, if you were to put, you have this time of the year, Advent through Pentecost or Advent through Trinity Sunday, um, that's kind of holy time. These are high holy days, high holy seasons, where we are emphasizing the life of Christ. And really, that is what um, we're doing in the liturgical year. We are going through yearly, we go through these cycles of reminding ourselves of the life of Christ. And then the other half of the year, if you will, um, so from Trinity Sunday back to Advent, we are living into what it means to be followers of Jesus, living into mission, living into witness, living into being people of grace and justice, living into people who are um, recognizing we're a part of a larger story. And sometimes that story is super, super prominent. And sometimes that story is sort of taking place in the background and we can't always sense like the main ideas, but that is, that's, that's life, right? That is, and that's the life of following Jesus, that there are, there are days that are just really like high on the mountain. We know, I just said high on the mountain. And that is the phrase that folks will remember the, of what I said, particularly because I emphasized it. Okay, so yeah, we have <laughs> days when we're on the mountain and it's so great. And then we have days we're in the valley and we're just trying to work it out. Ordinary time is a season where we're working it out. It's a, it's a season where we're living it out, where we are in some respects finding the holiness of God and the presence of God and the leadership of Jesus in the everyday ordinary life. Even though again, ordinary time is not about ordinary, but it's a nice word to use at that point. And so our first few weeks um, of season three are in this context. And I wanted us to make sure that we knew that, that we weren't just kind of sliding in with some random scriptures here. And like, and then we're gonna like really get going on Christ the King Sunday, like you know, last Sunday of November, like they were gonna get going. No, like we're already going. Like we just took a break at Annex, but the lectionary continues to go forward and, and the movement of Jesus continues to go forward. And so I am, really, really excited about the text that um, you all will be uh, discussing over the next few weeks as we are leading into um, the end of this liturgical year. We end the liturgical year with Reign of Christ Sunday or Christ the King Sunday, and then we start a new liturgical year um, with Advent. And I think that we're going to have just so many beautiful insights and conversations with our lectionary conversators. I think it's just going to be really, really great. But I wanted to make sure that we knew what time it was. And right now, it's ordinary time. And yeah. there's so much good stuff. In fact, let me share this this quote before I'm done, and yeah. then and I'll be done. Um, my buddy, Alistair Stern, this is what he says. There is nothing ordinary about our ordinary lives in Christ. And I think that's just, wow. Nothing ordinary about our ordinary lives in Christ. That's all I got to say, Mike. 
And what better place for a show about a bunch of people trying to figure out the texts to start in than a time where we are all just figuring out what's going on. So, yes, yes. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect start. It's going to be a great season. And now we can launch into episode one of season three. Let's go! What's up, everybody? Welcome to Studio Wesley Annex, the audiovisual podcast where we talk about the lectionary texts of the week. You've already heard a little bit from me and Derek in the intro of this episode, but we are here with some wonderful people. Uh, Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michael. How are you? I'm doing. I'm. I'm doing swell. Sydney, how about you? Things are good over here. With like world's best backdrop on the planet. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty sweet. Uh, and Elliot. How's it going? Pretty good. Can't complain. Yeah, no complaints. We're all here. We're jamming. Um, I mean, we can just dive right in. This is season three, y'all. Three episode one of season three. It's gonna. It's a whole new vibe. We're so stoked for it. Um, yeah, I'll open us up in prayer. Uh, dear God, thank you for bringing us here together. We pray that these words, however they come out in whatever way, shape or form, they prove meaningful to somebody, anybody listening out there, um, or maybe just useful for us as we engage with these different texts that, um, may be new to some of us and maybe not in Jesus name. Amen. And Sydney, you get to be the first person of the first episode of season three. No pressure. Just kidding. <laughs> Are you ready? I kind of felt like pressure, Mike, but okay. It's honestly, there's more pressure than anything we've done before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Take it away. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Um. So I'm working with the New Testament scripture, um, which this week is Romans 14, 1 through 12. Um. This is one of those scriptures scriptures that I do think so many of us have read so many times, um, which I think like we come across a lot, obviously, when we're reading like New Testament scriptures. Um, so this is probably one that's familiar to you. And if you know me, you know that I, 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 I'm probably going to like this scripture because I think this scripture presents a really interesting um, challenge to the like religious institution broadly um so let's let's get into it verse one accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters one person's faith allows them to eat anything but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables so we instantly kind of are given this message of um, and given this picture of the people who have weak faith, people who have strong faith, and the different kind of disciplines that we adapt because of that. And that that is something that should be embraced and that we as the church, the body of Christ, should resist disputing over these kinds of things. Um, and I think that this is one of those scriptures that um, really quickly, I've noticed at least, churches are really quickly to define who is the weak and who is the strong of faith. Um, literally, as I'm like doing research for this, one of the first Googles I see pulls up a link where it's like, who is the weak? Um, and this article is basically make, making an argument that Jewish people 
are the weak because they're the ones who quote, wait, wait, I had it written down. So quote, haven't shaken the trappings of old Testament laws, which I was like, so it's pretty obvious <laughs> like right off the bat that like scriptures like these are often because they're challenging for the church as an institution. We're really quick to kind of make groupings of like, who this group is, who this group is, and how it applies to us. And we're really quick to say, oh, well, really we're talking about here, we're talking about Jewish people. And it can perpetuate some really like um, ideology and rhetoric in the church. But that's like the first thing I noticed. Um, but I, I think I really resonate with this whole chapter because I think that there's something so deeply true about the fact that faith and spirituality broadly and personal growth and like healing, like all these kinds of things we can put into this category is different for every person and we all need different things. And I think that that's really what this is getting at is that we're using this term weak and, you know, those who have, as opposed to those who have stronger faith. But I think really because of, our backgrounds because of different wounds we may have because of different relational wounds or traumas or things we um all need different things in our future um and so verse four goes on to say who are you to judge someone else's servant to their own master servants stand or fall and they will stand for the lord is able to make um, I think that obviously taken very literally, this is an invitation to not judge each other. And this is something actually that's very, I think, very important to, um, me is this idea that we're not in community to be policing each other's actions. And I think that is a key struggle in religious communities is that we think we get together we use this book, we use all our written laws, all our books of discipline, all this, that, and the other that we come up with in a well-meaning, well-meaning to create organization and community, we end up using those things to simply police one another and decide what is right and wrong in somebody else's relationship with God. Um, actually, after this whole section goes on to talk about that one, that one scripture where it's like don't be a stumbling block for your brother or sister and so it's kind of like we're not here to tell each other oh you're doing christianity right we're here to encourage each other build each other up um see each other's growth acknowledge that in each other um but at the end of the day we are in relationship with the Lord, and that's what matters. Um, I guess I'll end with verse 11 and 12 goes on to say, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And so ultimately, yeah, like I think that the scripture is not only an invitation to be in religious community and to not want, not judge each other, but it's also an invitation to extend um, compassion and a benefit of a doubt to each other 
that we are each on an individual journey with God. And at the end of the day, we have to trust that God is the one seeing us, seeing our intentions, seeing our growth. And that's not our job to track that in one another. So um, I think that's all I have to say. Um, I am interested to see what y'all have to say. Yeah. Sydney, I, I, this, this picture you paint of like people getting together and then just like, like I, I was sitting here thinking of how that judgment kind of happens in the term of like, I don't know if this is actually a term of phrase or not. Like the, I, the, my brain was saying accountability culture. I don't know if that's a thing. Is that a thing? Um, just like, I'm just picturing like the notion of a bunch of church people getting together and be like, I, I want you guys to hold me accountable and like how that can create this or play into this atmosphere of, judgment and everything but i think that the big detail there that we forget is um is the the consensual aspect of that accountability or of the and because again i don't think it's judgment accountability is the much stronger word to use there but it's like it's judgment when you're putting it on people from a place of superiority or putting it on people from a place of power or just like it's unasked for but there is something of value as a christian going to people you trust and even God and saying, Hey, I need, I need help in this. This is a thing I'm choosing to grow in. And I'm, I'm asking you to speak into that for me if you see or whatever. Right. So I, 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 I don't know. My brain was just racking on that specific topic and how, how like there is such a, a strong consensual aspect for, and, and a valuable aspect for Christians in that, but yeah, it needs to be consensual. Otherwise, otherwise it is judgment and it's, and it's harmful. And, then, you know, I, I, yeah, I think this is a great passage in, in challenging that and kind of bringing that up. So, yeah, thank you, Sydney. That's all I got to say. Um, yeah, I really like the part um, that you talked about, Sydney, about um, everybody kind of needs something different at different times and stages. And at like the first verse, um, except other believers who are weak in faith, don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. I think a lot of times people jump the gun and just try to like, put their own paradigms on other people rather than experiencing it and living it in community. And I think it's really important for people um, to talk with other Christians and other people because like experiences really help grow your faith a lot. And I think that um, people who just push their ideas onto people um, really kind of um, takes away from the entire idea of congregation and learning together. Like we're all in this journey together. So um, that really stuck out to me personally, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, Sydney, I, was, I really liked what you said about the whole judgment. Um, Michael, you brought about the judgment versus, um, how would you say, it, the accountability. Really, there's like a, a fine line that can often be missed. I think in today's culture, we really do put people in a box and say that you are this, this is what you are, rather than realizing that many people are a spectrum, they each have individual needs. Um, and really what I took away from this was just, don't judge. Um, it kind of references that a little bit. Even I know you, you're only, what was it, uh, verses 1 through 12. But if you look just a little bit further, um, verse 13, I'm not sure what exact translation I have, but it says, so stop judging each other and said, uh, just don't be a stumbling block for the others. Um, and then even before that, it talks about why do you judge your brothers or sisters? Why do you look down on your um, look down on each other? we all stand in front of the judgment seat of God. Like the only one that really should be judging is God. Um, yeah. Don't judge. That's kind of what I took away from this thing. This started like an annex, the whole, 
topic of us like talking in the back of the church, somebody's just like, hey, why why do you judge your brother and your sister? Like, why do you do that? And it's just a conversation that starts. That's that's what I'm picturing as the backstory for this uh, biblical text, which is probably absolutely not correct at all. But uh, I'm excited to think of it that way. Uh, all right, uh, Josh, uh, you're moving us into the Old Testament text. Feel good? Yes, I do. Take away. Go flip there real quick. All right, so I, well, Cindy was doing the New Testament. I have the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 15, verses 1 through, I believe it's 12, and then also verses 20 through 21. And so to give into context, this is right after um, Moses is part of the Red Sea. Uh, people, the Israelites have been in captivity for a while. Uh, very hard time, obviously. They're in slavery. And so I think for me, when I read this verse, um, really towards the beginning, in verse, in verse two, it says, The Lord is my strength, he is my defense, he is my God. Um, there's a lot of ownership, might be the right word, just like proclaiming that this is mine. Um, and I think for me, when I read this verse, I really didn't understand, like, who who is this really that they are worshiping? Because um, especially us as Christians, we are so focused on um, the New Testament God, and this is an Old Testament God. It's, you know, they're probably thinking about him not the same way that I would have thought about him. Um, it says he is a warrior. Um, he has his right hand. He shattered the enemy. All these Old Testament things where... He is, he has such power and such authority and such majesty, um, like it says in chapters of, excuse me, verse six, where he is like rewarding the good people, doing good things to good people and bad things to bad people. Um, lots of kind of like what the city was talking about, the judgment and just, just straight up power that he has. And I think, um, I really, for me, especially growing up in the church, when I hear about, you know, when I was told the story of most being part of the Red Sea, as a kid, I don't think I fully grasped the the strength that it takes. And like, I still sometimes think about that we worship a God that can do that. Um, and I can't fully comprehend what that is. Um, as a kid, you know, when I thought water, when I think a body of water, I thought a pool, like, you know, just a little five foot deep pool. There's not nothing crazy. And so for me, as I've gotten older, um, now I think obviously I know a little bit more about life and I'm trying to really understand that power. Um, and I think now that I'm older, I can have a better understanding of what that is. Um, what else is there? And really just the song, this is one of those places in scripture where we can really kind of take things literally. Um, it's, it's here we can kind of read it as nonfiction. This stuff really did happen. Um, in verse 8 it says, By the blast of your nostrils the water piled up, the surging water stood up like a wall. And so I just think about this huge, the worship of God that has this type of power um, that... Do, do, do we really believe, like for me, 
I don't really, I was able to conceptualize that he was able to do this, this type of God that can do all these crazy things. Um, so that's just one thing that I've kind of took away from this passage is when I pray, am I worshiping this God? Do I believe that God is like, I really um, acknowledge his power. If that makes any sense. Just kind of, that's kind of what I got took away from all that. Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah, there's like scriptures like this. There's always so much for me to like unpack within myself. Um, when we think about God's like power used in war, specifically war imagery, I often struggle with in scripture. Um, and I actually was kind of like, as you were talking about it and I was, I'm like skimming the scripture, recognizing within myself, like how different it actually feels for me reading it in the context of this story. Um, so I've done some like reading in the past about kind of like some of the origins of like black American liberation theology and how a lot of it comes back often to the story of Moses leading the Israelites to like liberation from um, under like the oppression of like Pharaoh in Egypt and stuff. And uh, it's kind of like interesting how, so like we, there are a lot of scriptures like this, like God is my defense. God will attack my, enemy. you know, I, this is me paraphrasing scripture, but you know what I mean? Like in Psalms, there's a lot of scriptures like this. And when I think about it in the context of Psalms, I'm like, you know, David was this powerful man. He's over here complaining and he's trying to smile all his inner, and I'm like having all this internal dialogue. But here I'm like, I get it. I understand how like the power of God in, in this context feels so much more liberatory. Um, and so that's not to say there's one right or wrong way to experience the scripture, but I guess that's just like what I'm thinking about is how, how interesting the context can change the way that I'm like reacting to, um, scriptures like this and processing God's power and trying to like understand what that means for us now. Um, and when I think about like in this context, right, I'm thinking about God's power and God's defense as something that's like for the liberation of like my people, like, you know what I mean? Like black people, queer people, like, you know, all these different people groups that I see as being marginalized in our society. I'm like, like, yeah, like that's resonating with me. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. There's like, there's so much here and, um, a lot to process. I want to I want to go in tandem with that Sydney because oh I'm I'm so um, Josh and Elliot well Elliot knows this um, Josh my backgrounds in in theater and uh, acting and stuff and like one of the things we we study quite a bit is like the just freeing up your voice to be able to do whatever like and part of that process in a lot of acting theories is like you you um, I don't even know how to describe it you basically like you you exert a lot of energy so that your body like can can calm down like in tension the release of tension then like gives this sort of freedom and i i just bring that up to say like 
the context in which we're singing here, like these people are singing after all these bad things happen and this like really long journey and like there's so much there's so much there. And I think I think of the exhaustion that comes with that and then the freeness of voice that then happens for them all to be able to sing this. It it's like reminiscent to me of like the way people lament and like do these these like Chinese death wailing, for example, like where people just use their voice to exert so much emotion and so much strength. And like, yeah, that absolutely feels representative of like the power of God of like, yes, I've been through all of this. And now like the only release and the, from this overwhelm of emotion is to sing. Um, I think there's something very, very powerful in that imagery. And, um, and, and I, I emphasize that because I thought it was interesting that they tacked on those two extra verses from Miriam um, leading the women in song too. It's like, not only did they all sing this, but also Miriam like led, led, led even more song. And it's like, yeah, the, the singing is that overwhelming emotional release that I, I think is really just a powerful image to think about, especially in terms of what you were saying, Sydney, about, about the connections between this passage and how it's used in like um, context and stories about liberation and stuff. Uh, yeah, for sure. And um, I definitely liked how you, uh, Michael, pointed out, like, how they had gone through so much previously as well. And there's, like, they also have this, um, you know, story, like, I mean, it's, it's the Bible. Like, they have this big story of, of liberation coming through and finally escaping Egypt. And now they celebrate. It's like... Um, you don't truly understand like the power that God is able to, to give because no man can understand it. Um, kind of like in the words of Kanye West, no one man should have all this power, but God does, you know what I mean? So uh, that's, um, and also to what you said, Josh, about how when you're younger and you kind of grow up in the church, you don't fully kind of understand stuff because as you're growing up, you kind of like, you know, like you said, you know, body of water as like a pool. Um, you know, these sort of things. And as you grow up, you sort of change your paradigms and you understand things differently and not even differently, but, you know, more deeply. And um, the older you grow and the wiser you become, you sort of understand God's power a little more. And um, it's all about like the journey, understanding each day. And that almost like kind of correlates and represents with what they're going through, understanding God's powers in new ways every day. So I think that's super cool, especially like if we want to impact that in our lives as well, like just like trying to learn something about God's power every day in your life. Like, I think that's super cool. And I think that that's a paradigm that and an idea that they obviously exhibited back then that we can try to exhibit ourselves now. And I think that's super cool. Y'all, what an awesome team that we have. This is this is so good. Y'all are so great. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, all right, we are going to take a quick break, um, both for us and for you listening, however you're listening to this show. Uh, see you soon. Hear from you soon. Something soon. Welcome to Studio Wesley Cafe. My name is Cindy Buchanan, and I'm your host. What is Studio Wesley Cafe, and what is in that mug, you ask? 
both great questions. Well, first and foremost, I'm drinking a coffee with oat milk because that's my bet of choice. But more importantly, Studio Wesley Cafe is Studio Wesley's newest creation where I and special guests am going to be talking about, well, the things you might talk to your friends about over coffee. We'll be talking about music and movies, art, social media, current events. Um, I guess some might say culture. And we're going to be talking about the ways that all those things intersect with our lives as people on a spiritual journey. Does that sound like something you might be interested in listening to? I hope so. Starting September 15th, every other Friday, a new episode will drop. So grab your Bev of choice, whether it be coffee, tea, water, because we all need to stay hydrated, and join us. And we're back after a much-needed bathroom break, snack break, all the breaks that you could possibly be taking. Uh, Elliot is going to launch us into Psalms 114. Elliot, you ready? Yep. Take it away. All right. So Psalm 114, um, it's the entire psalm. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and start. So this is kind of, this song is kind of reflecting what we just talked about in Exodus and coming out of um, you know, the Red Sea, the parting of the waters, that sort of thing. And it's a psalm of praise. And as I'm reading it, like as I read it, I kind of thought like, it kind of sounds like almost a little cocky, but like in the same way, it's it's not because it's like um, they're saying how they actually feel and thanking God for it, which I think is super cool. Um, and let me just look at my notes real quick. So, yeah, so it, they came, that's when it was talking about, um, like, the older story of God's exile of, um, I read that wrong. Um, so, yeah, when Israel came out of Egypt, and then something that stuck out to me personally um, is in verse uh, 7, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. So that sounds really basic, and we hear that literally all the time, like in the Bible, like I swear it's probably in so many different Psalms. But what's cool about that is, especially after we just read um, where it was talking about them um, coming out of Egypt, um, it's really interesting because we just talked about, you know, the power of God. And now we can kind of understand how they're feeling after the fact, like, after the celebrations, after everything had happened, they still understand that they tremble over earth at the presence of the Lord. So it's not even them. It's like the whole earth that they're talking about. I think that's super cool, especially, um, you know, there's different verses like um, in uh, when I was talking about them sounding a little cocky. Verse five, uh, what's wrong, Red Sea? What made you hurry out of their way? What happened, Jordan River? that you turned away. I think it's super cool, the storytelling and the way that they convey the information. Um, it's definitely different than what we read in um, Exodus. Um, that was in a praise celebration sort of way. This is still celebration, but it's almost kind of like looking back at the fact. Um, and it's really interesting to see, especially read first, how they were um, feeling about everything after or during the celebrations 
and then also reading something after it had happened, you know, how they look back at it. Um, and um, that's really cool to especially see, like, they were humans too. They went through, like, similar things that, that we go through. So how do they cope with incredible things that happened back then? And I think it's really cool because you kind of get a, um insight into how they were feeling and, like, how they – not even how they felt, but also how they viewed the Lord and God, which is really interesting to me. So, yeah. I really like kind of the verse five, like the cockiness. And what I always took that back to, um, they talk about uh, the sea and the, the Jordan, like those are bodies of water and sometimes even the mountains, especially back then, water was something kind of that was kind of dangerous back then. Obviously, there's a couple of different like some symbols for water, um, like fertility, life. It kind of cleanses um, things. But back then, you know, people didn't understand tides. They didn't understand waves. You know, the best thing they had for that was Poseidon. Um, they can They there's water something dangerous. Um, and then other Psalms it talks about kind of how it overwhelms you. And so for them to just mock it is kind of interesting to me um kind of said very very cocky um but when you do have a powerful god i guess you can be like that sometimes um within reason within moderation so that was something i kind of took away so yeah i so elliot i like that you pointed out verse seven because it just i mean it i just have to always say that like the whole statement of like fear god or like i'm a god-fearing person or just like I've like always had issues with that, like just always, because when you're like raised on this like loving image of God and like this like idealistic, perfect parent, loving God, then like the idea of, of fearing that person is very foreign to me. Like I, I don't associate fear and love like in the same sort of context. Right. Um, but, the, but so then, um, and kind of countering or going with what Josh said about, um, there's the one take of, of water that's like very destructive, which we've read about already. But then the verse following it being about like turning rock into a pool and um, and springs of water. Like I, there's also the, the side of nature that's very calming. So then you're juxtaposing for me like tremble, tremble at the power of God, which I associate instinctively with fear God. And then as soon as you say fear, then you give me this imagery that could be very peaceful of like a calm pool of water. And, and, and I do think that's that's really nice for me in, in terms of like mitig mitigating. Yes, God has power. Like we're not fearing God because God's scary or God's angry. Like there's a, a respect a respect that comes from the fearing of God's power, but it's not like fearing. It's, it's a, more of an acknowledgement. And then we give this peaceful calming side of God because that's, it's important to know that that's uh, I want to like, there's no danger there. Like, yes, it's fear, but it's fear without danger. I don't know. Hopefully that's not too scattered, but uh, there's something there for me. I, I don't know. No, I actually completely understand what you're getting at Mike. Cause I was just kind of like thinking about how interesting it is that like, we do this thing where we're like, you know, like bragging about, Honestly, I kind of love it. It's kind of like smack talk. Like, <laughs> I feel like they're kind of like, watch out. My God can move mouth. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so funny to me. But, but in that, 
I also feel like there's this like deep acknowledgement that like just like we are subject to the power of God in out of control of so much so is everything else like we're one part of like this whole that is all kind of like at the hand of the like oneness and power of god that connects everything right so it's like you get this kind of like it like this while we're acknowledging the power of god against all these big things we're also acknowledging the the peacefulness of like, yeah, but like we're all a part of this. You know what I mean? We're all subject to like this power and that's like really beautiful and like requires a deep trust um, and like the goodness of God. And so, I don't know, it's like, there's like this interesting like contrast I feel like happening in scriptures like this. Yeah, Elliot, thank you so much. Uh, this leads me into our gospel text, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Mike, are you ready? Sure. Take it away. Great. Going. <laughs> um, okay, so we've talked about um, our, we've talked about the Exodus. We've talked about all these stories that we remember uh, reminiscent from childhood. And here we have another one, uh, a little bit more obscure, but a parable nonetheless. So some Sometimes it's kind of on the common end. Uh, this is the parable of the unmerciful servant. Um, I think I already said it, verses 21 through 35. So to sum up, um, Jesus tells the story of um, relating um, our inner, I mean, we're, we're back on the same topic, judging your brothers and sisters. Um, Jesus says to Peter, um, this parable of a king who goes to his servant who he loaned like, a lot of money. I don't know. It's gold. You know, uh, he loans him a bunch of gold and then he's like, Hey, pay me back. And the servant's like, I can't. And he's like, all right, well, you're gonna have to sell everything you own in order to pay me back. And the servant's like, Oh God, please. No. And then the King is like, all right, fair. I forgive it all. And then later that servant goes to some guy that he loaned money. And that guy's like, Hey, I can't pay you back. And the servant's like, well, to prison. And he sends the guy to prison and like, he gets tortured and blah, blah, blah. And then the king's like, dude, what the hell? I like forgave your your debt. Why didn't you forgive that guy's debt? You're going to prison now. A lot of prison, a lot of stuff. That's the story in summary. Um, so on the surface, this story has a lot of like, I think there's a lot of lot to be said about generosity and forgiveness, specifically in how so the the king forgives his servant um, in the same way that Jesus forgave our sins, and then there's this expectation that you'll turn around and take this gift that you were giving to spread it to other people, right? So this conversation of how do we treat our brothers and sisters? Well, God forgave us of all our sins, and that's and it doesn't stop there. There is an expectation of us to then take this gift that we were given and be kind to others, like spread that forgiveness, right? Um, and then there's a couple like specific things I want to go into, which are, I think it's easy to hear that, what I just said, and and be like, oh, we have to forgive everybody all the time. We have to be the best person on the planet. I don't think this story is without the um, acknowledgement that God empowers us to confront and speak our needs 
and capabilities. Like, I don't think this is a story of like, you have to like be walked on and stepped all over and like forgive everybody all the time. Because at the top of it, the king goes to his servant and says, hey, where's my money? Uh, I should probably pull up the exact uh, verse. Let's see. King, uh, kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his account with a servant. As he began the settlement, so he is confronting his servant, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, insert dollar amount here, uh, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and children, that everything he owned be sold uh, for the debt, and the servant fell to his knees, be patient with me. And then the, the master took pity on him, canceled the debt. So there, there is the initial acknowledgement um, where you, where we are empowered to, I think, if we're taking this metaphor and parable for what it is, like we are empowered to confront and speak our needs and our capabilities. The, the, this, um, this king is not forgiving what he's incapable of forgiving. Does that make sense? Like he has what I'm assuming is an unfathomable amount of wealth. He is capable of forgiving these things. So I think I want to just acknowledge the part of the conversation that says. Um, forgive like there's forgiveness but forgiving what you're capable of as people um and uh, sorry i'm jumping all over the place here um i also want to acknowledge that there's a lot of debt and there we aren't we haven't been asked for a backstory to explain that before we're forgiven so the king doesn't say hey before i forgive this money like what did you spend it on Right. We aren't given the backstory. We aren't given circumstances. Generosity. Um, this generosity from the king isn't demanding a backstory that he agrees with. He doesn't need an explanation in order to offer that um, and the freedom that comes with it. He just offers it. So I think there's a, um, a, a very big comment to be said there, especially as we relate to um, God forgiving our sins. God forgave our sins without needing the explanation or for us to like be very clear, like we're offered that no matter what, when we turn around and, and offer that forgiveness to others, like we, we aren't the gatekeepers of that forgiveness. It's still expected of us, right? It's not our job to be like, well, um, you, to ask all these questions, it's just kind of part of that. So I think that's interesting too. Um, well, let's see, what else do I got here? Um, there's a concept of greed and selfishness in this too, of like paying it forward. So just because we're given a gift, don't be greedy, you know, all the simple stuff. Uh, I, I think that that's a lot of what I wanted to cover. Just like the, there's a, there's an, it's the element of follow through, I think is where I'll, I'll leave it. When you're, you know, when you, you're given this beautiful gift, like we've been given our, our salvation and this freedom, I think it's easy to look at that and say, oh, it stops there. I've been given this gift. Great. I'm in the clear. Um, but there is an expectation of God that says like, okay, now be a gosh darn good person, please. Like, you know, I gave you a gift, like spread that to other people. Um, it's not, it's not this complacent. There's like, like as God is a person of justice and liberation, as we talked and like all these beautiful things that come with God's love, like, yes, we receive all that from God. And then we are then tasked with being like, part of that um, movement forward, part of that progression that we were then given ourselves. So uh, I'll leave it there. Sorry for the ramble and disjointedness of all that. Thank you, Mike. I I think that that scripture is such a good continuation of everything that we've like been talking about. And I feel like there's so much good stuff this in this week's like lectionary text about like 
the difficulties of just like being in community. You know what I mean? Like there's so like sometimes when you're reading scripture, it just feels so just like love everyone. And it's like, it's more complicated than that. <laughs> it's always more complicated. You know what I mean? Like, what does that mean? Does that mean we need to hold each other accountable? Does that mean we need to forgive? Does that mean that you right? And so it's like, I feel like these scriptures are giving some like good, like nuance around like, you're right. Like this context almost like informs this parable just as much as like the parable itself, that it's like a king extending, right? Like, what does that mean about our own generosity and recognizing what we're like capable of being generous with and recognizing where we're privileged and where we can be more generous. And also you're so right. Like I don't think always forgiving is synonymous with having no boundaries and letting people walk all over you just like, I don't think that being non-judgmental is, I don't think that's synonymous with not holding each other accountable and having hard conversations yet. Like we're going to have the hard conversations. We're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to do all these things, but we're not going to do it in a way where we feel we have some moral power or we're moral policing or, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's all just like, it's so complicated to be in community with one another and to figure out how to build each other up and we have to forgive each other along the way because every single one of us is going to mess it up and we have to be able to extend the compassion of like okay how are we going to do this better next time how are we going to work together to heal grow rebuild um so yeah i think that's really beautiful uh, for me, just to piggyback off of what you said, Sydney, about like love can be so complicated. Um, what I kind of took away is that like forgiveness is so complicated, and it gives me, um, I guess, I don't know, hope. I guess for lack of a better word, but like happiness that I don't have to have it all figured out, but God does, um, and just kind of understanding that, and that kind of takes like the stress away. Um, yeah. And then speaking about like the accountability you have, like, yes, uh, this happened to forgive you. But for me, one thing I've always, um, kind of learned is that, you know, forgive, but don't forget. Like it happened, be accountable, try and make the best of it. Um, but take the right steps. So it doesn't happen again, or, you know, the situation is better. Like I said, it's complicated. Like there's no plan for it. There's no set steps. There's no, yeah, great way to do it for every single situation. Um, just gotta take it how it is and move on from there. All throughout all y'all talking, it kind of reminded me about the um, the first text that we read, Romans fourteen one through twelve, talking about how um, everybody needs different things. You know, everyone is different. And I think that totally goes along with um, what we're reading about here, how relationships are not easy. It, it is difficult. Um, you know, forgiving people is difficult. But something that stuck out to me personally and that I think beautifully encapsulates everything we've kind of read about today, and especially this passage, is at the very end, it talks about um, the very last verse is um, – that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to give 
forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. It's talking about from your heart. And I think that's super important and super um, awesome because like, as long as you mean it from your heart, um, you truly mean it, then that's all that, that really matters. Um, you know, forgive from your heart, love from your heart. You know, like you don't want to be fake. Like relationships are hard in the first place. If you're fake, then it's just going to mess it all up. And so you really have to be genuine and um, everything has to come from your heart. And I think that that's the one thing that I really took away from this passage. And I hope that like people can kind of understand that because it's super important to kind of come from a, an idea in a, in a paradigm that, you know, as long as you're loving people from your heart and you truly mean to do the things you do and you're not acting fake and you forgive people that you really mean to forgive, just forgive them to like, you know, quit the beef. Like you do it for a real purpose. I think that's super important. And I think um, that that's a really big thing that I took away from this passage. Man, y'all, I don't, I don't even need to give any sort of sum up. I feel like you all just, <laughs> just like nailed it on the head with that. Uh, yeah, Elliot, thank you so much. Um, Josh, Sydney. Um, Sydney, do you want to, you want to close us in prayer? I really can't like top what you guys say. I'm, not that it's a, sorry, I shouldn't say top. I'm not trying to top what you're saying. I, I can't wrap it up nicely because we all, you guys crushed it. All right, Sydney, take it home. Yes, let's pray. Um, God, thank you so much for this time um, that we just got to spend together learning from each other. It's always a gift. Um, I pray that we would let these scriptures we read today and discussed, let it inform our lives and our actions, um, that we would be reflecting on what all this means for um, what we are going out into the world and doing, um, hopefully learning how to forgive more and love more and be more non-judgmental and trust the power, um, that you have. And, um, yes, we love you and, um, all this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. This has been Studio Wesley Annex. Sydney, as always, thank you. Josh and Elliot, your first one in the books. I hope you had as much fun as we enjoyed having you. On the thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. So, so grateful to all of you. Um, yeah, this has been Studio Wesley Annex. Until next time. Later, y'all.